go to the book of Revelation today. Revelation. You know, this morning I've been kind of focusing on a lot of the positive and just talking a lot about the blessings and something we always like to do on Sunday night in the anniversary, you know, just talk about just maybe the blessing you got from the last year. We like to open it up for testimonies and then a prayer request for the next year for the church. And if you can be here tonight, give you a chance to do that. But also tonight, something else I'm going to, I'm going to kind of take a little different spin with the message. I'm going to kind of focus on some of the negative a little bit. Because you know, not everything is peaches and cream around here. You know, not everything is sunshine and roses. And uh, I'm not I'm not blind uh, to any of that. But uh, we're we're going to focus a little bit on that tonight. But I think in a, in a good positive way, I guess you could say. But uh, this morning, I wanted to give a message to you that I hope will uh, be a help and an encouragement, and just kind of a. Sorry, I, I, I might I might. Just preach at you a little bit today. I hope you all don't mind that. I think we've been around long enough. You all know me well enough to know that I definitely care about you. I love you all. And uh, same thing, uh, I, I know you all care about me. And so if uh, you know there's some hard preaching, you know, not going to be any hard feelings because we, uh, we, all, we all know each other well enough. We can get away with it. But uh, I, I, I want to challenge you today. And you know, having a good church, it's not going to be an easy thing. It's not going to be a walk in the park. It's difficult, especially in this day and age that we live in. It's always been difficult. It's never been easy. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But in Revelation chapter two and three, we're not going to take time. We don't have time to go through the entire two chapters, but we are going to we are going to cover a lot of it. But real quickly, I want to show you something. I'm going to read Revelation two and three, or all the whole book of Revelation. It's written to seven churches that were scattered throughout Asia, and there are seven different churches that this letter was sent to. He's talking to seven different churches, and I'm going to read one verse from each of those to this to each of those churches. And I want to see if you notice a theme in there, something that's repeated several times. But uh, to the church in Ephesus, in chapter 2, verse 7, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In verse 11, to the church of Smyrna, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Verse 17, to Pergamos, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. I don't know if you're seeing a word that's being used in there yet, but then in verse 26, to Thyatira, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Chapter 3, verse 5, To Sardis, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 12, To Philadelphia, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write unto him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Then in verse 21, to the church of Laodicea, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in His throne. Does anybody notice the word that was used in every one of those verses? What's that? Overcometh. 
overcometh. And tonight or this morning, I want to preach about being an overcoming church. Now, what does it mean to overcome something? Well, it means we've got to get over something, right? It means there's an obstacle. It means that there's a challenge that's in the way. It's it's not going to be easy. We're going to have to overcome some things. And as a church, as individuals in your life, if we're going to move forward for God, we're going to have to overcome some things because I'm here to tell you that the devil, he's going to do everything he can to stop us. He's going to put things in our way. And you know what we do most of the time whenever we have something in our way? is We pray, Lord, get that out of the way. But really, the Bible says we need to overcome. That we've got to overcome those things. How would you like it? I was out. I was in Dixon yesterday. I was driving through there, and it looked like a track and field thing was going on out there. And how would you like it if you were went to maybe see your child or your grandchild compete in a track and field event? He's going to go run the hurdles, and you see him take off running out there, and he's running great, and he gets to that first hurdle, and he just stops and looks at it, and you're all like, you're all yelling, "What are you doing?" He's like, "There's a hurdle in my way." And you're going to be screaming. Out, Jump over it. You know, but it's high. <laughs> so what? Jump over it. That's what you do. Get over it. And that's what God has told us to do as a church. The devil's going to put hurdles in our way. He's going to put obstacles. And we've got to get over them. And you know what? They're not supposed to be easy. That's kind of what makes some of the sporting events exciting. Some of those hurdles they have to jump over are pretty high. I mean, have you ever seen? I always liked watching the high jump in the Olympics. So they got to jump and they kind of do that backflip over it. That's pretty impressive. Why is it impressive? Because it's hot. It's difficult. And God's promised blessings, and He gave a challenge here to every one of these churches to overcome some things. And these these things that they had to overcome are things that we still need to overcome today. That we are facing today, and God's told us. Don't pray him out of the way. He's told us to overcome those things. And I want us to look at what these things are. Because we need to have an overcoming spirit. But first off, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, he's talking to the angel of the church of Ephesus. We don't have time to read these entire two chapters, but I encourage you to do that. In fact, in the Bible reading, I think next week, we're going to be, you'll be getting into Revelation. So we're almost done and getting into a very exciting book of the Bible. But for this church in Laodicea, you may or not Laodicea in Ephesus, they were doing everything right, but God had a problem with them. They had left their first love. They left their first love. They were doing all the right things, but they were just kind of going through the motions. They weren't doing it out of the love for God like they were supposed to. He told them in verse five, "Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent." God wanted them to get this right. And he says, and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of the place except thou repent. The candlestick, if you read chapter 1, there were seven candlesticks that represent seven individual churches. Okay, Not one universal church. Seven individual churches. And God said, if you don't overcome this, I'm going to remove your candlestick. And you know what? There's churches that they didn't overcome this and God's had to remove them before. And the Bible says... Right here, I believe a way we can apply this to our life is really just putting anything before God. The first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we need to learn to overcome putting things before God. I think one of the things that's killing churches today is just the, you know, I guess the apathy when it comes to church. They don't take it serious. Literally anything 
comes before God. God's just kind of something in the back seat. We come to church, well, because we like it. I like the people. I like the friendship. I like the music. I like whatever. It makes me feel good. How about coming to church to serve the Lord? To worship the Lord out of obedience to Him, out of love for Him. I believe that we need to take Sunday, the Lord's Day, serious. Revelation chapter one verse ten. John, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. What was the Lord's Day? That's Sunday. The Lord's Day is Sunday. You know, Sunday was the Lord's Day. Some have called it the Christian Sabbath simply because they picked Sunday. That was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That was the day they celebrated His resurrection. I believe another reason too that they picked Sunday was to distinguish them from the Jews who they had their Sabbath on Saturday. And I'm telling you right now, I, I believe it's important to have that day of rest. A day where we don't have to be thinking about work. And all that goes with that. I know there's some jobs that have to be out there. You know, I'm glad that hospitals are still going on Sunday. I'm glad the police officers are still out there on Sunday because people commit crimes on Sunday. But you know what? I I think it's I think we do way too much stuff on Sundays. You know, most churches these a lot of churches these days are going to Saturday night services. Why? Because we don't want to interfere with people's Sundays. You know, they'll do a real early morning service. There's nothing wrong with having church on Saturday. There's nothing having wrong with church real early Sunday morning, but it's like we've got to hurry up and get it out of the way because people have their Sundays so they can go to their ball games, watch football, do all, you know, all these things. Everything literally will get people out. You know, I mean, and honestly, I don't know how this started. I, I really don't. But, you know, you think about like Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. You know, I've often wondered if, you know, maybe. Sunday morning, you start the Lord's Day out worshiping Him. You start the Lord's Day out in service to Him. The Sunday evening service, you end the day worshiping Him. You end the day serving Him. You're, you know, it's just the focal point should be Christ on Sunday. One day. One day out of the week we ought to be able to give the Lord. And people these days, they don't. They just don't take it serious. And I'm telling you, even in churches, I mean, they will cancel church for anything. They will cancel church for the Super Bowl. They'll play the Super Bowl in some churches. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. They don't do the commercials though, you know, because you know there's some bad commercials. You know, they're they're that, they're that spiritual. But listen, in this Sunday is the Lord's Day, and I believe we ought to take it serious in putting anything before God. We are breaking the commandments of God. We are breaking the greatest commandment, and we've got to, we've got to overcome that. And there's a lot we could talk about. We could do a whole sermon on that. We don't have time. But we need to overcome putting anything before God. Okay, When it comes to this church, God comes first. We're going to follow His Word. Well, it's going to make people mad. We're not here to please people. We're here to please God. We're here to serve Him. Also, in verse uh, to the second church, in verse 8, it says, "...on the angel of the church of Smyrna..." And then verse uh, this is the Church of Smyrna, verse nine: I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which shall which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee. A crown of life. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Notice here, he tells them to overcome the fear of tribulation. 
Do you hear what he told them there? He said, some of you are going to be cast into prison. You're going to have tribulation. And God, you know what God told them? He said, overcome it. He didn't tell them, run away from it. He didn't tell them how to avoid it. He said, overcome it. In other words, get through it. Go to prison. Go to prison. Die for My sake. And to Him, that overcome it. God, every one of them too, if you read those, we don't have time to talk about them, but for every one of these things you overcame, there was a reward that came with overcoming that. And listen, I know we live in America today and we feel pretty safe right now, but you know it's not like that all over the world. And the day is going to come where even in America, we are going to have to fear death. We're going to have to fear prison for serving God. And are we going to be able to overcome that? Listen, people these days, many are disobedient to God for the fear. Simply because of the fear of persecution. The fear that somebody might mock them. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Bible all. So I've never suffered any persecution. Well, then you haven't lived godly. Because the Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's going to be people that are going to be down on you. They're going to, they're going to make fun of you. There's going to be things that you're going to miss out on and there's going to be challenges that are going to come because of it. And you know what God said to do? He said, overcome it. Just overcome that. Get through it. These things are going to happen nowhere in the Bible where we promised a life of ease as Christians when we cannot let the fear of persecution Don't let the fear of what your friends might say, don't let the fear of what your family might say ever stop you from doing what you're supposed to do. Live like a Christian. Act like a Christian. Because that's what God's commanded us to do. And when the challenges come up, you overcome it. You just do it anyway. Because God told you to do it. And there's a reward to Him that overcometh. And then notice to the third church, in verse 12, and once again, I wish we had time to go through verse by verse through all this. But you know what? False doctrine was creeping into that church. They were, they were battling false doctrine in that church. And God told them, to him that overcometh. To him that overcometh. We've got, uh, we cannot ever allow false doctrine into this church. We're not going to compromise just to be popular. We're not going to do that. Listen, there's a lot of things that we could bring into this church that would get us a bigger crowd. If we had, a, if we on friend day, I promise. Let's okay, friend day the 28th. All right, let's say we have a good day and we have 50 people here. All right, we're gonna do that, singing the old hymns, preaching from the old book. All right, we're gonna be doing what we do all the time. If the next week we have a rock concert, a Christian rock concert, we'll get a bigger crowd. We'll be more popular. Hopefully, none of you would be here if we decided to do that. You'd be you'd be wise enough to say, "I'm not coming to that." But you know, we'd get a lot of visitors in that day. We could be more popular. And but the Bible says we've got to overcome that. We've got to hold fast to the things that God has given us. Let's look at some of these verses in verse uh, chapter twelve, uh, chapter two, verse twelve. Uh, in verse 13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, and even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwells. Somebody was killed for doing the right thing. Somebody was killed for standing strong. But I have few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. 
this church, they had allowed some people in there with that false doctrine. They had some false doctrine in there. And God told them, you got to get that out of there. We're not going to do that. We cannot allow false doctrine in here. Well, why don't we just, why don't we join up with all the churches? You know, why can't we have a one church? You know, let's not call ourselves Baptists. That distinguishes you too much. You know, we want to get along with the, everybody else that calls themselves Christians. We want to get along with the Episcopalians and with the Methodists and with the whoever. And you know what? You know what? The Mormons, they call themselves Christians sometimes. We want to get along with them too. And you know what? Those Catholics, they're nice people. We, you know, why can't we just have something where we all get along and come together? We can have something where we all get along and come together, and it's with God's Word. But here's the problem: many people called by many different names don't like a lot of what's in here, and we are not supposed to join up with that. We're not going to allow those who have the doctrine of Balaam in there. We're not going to go and get. Uh, you know, have somebody come in here and be maybe a Sunday school teacher or an assistant pastor or a leader in the church that believes something like you can lose your salvation or that you have to work your way to heaven. We cannot do that. Well, that's that's not nice. You need to be more inclusive. Hey, we'll include anybody that goes along with this book, but we are not going to allow false doctrine in. And there will always be pressure. There will always be temptation. To allow it in, it's it's seductive. We've got to overcome the seduction of false doctrine. You know this. There uh, some of, some of these things out there that are being taught. It's it is it's very seductive, and people all the time are leaving Bible believing churches, and they're going after that because it is boy, it looks great. Boy, those some of those guys, they're preachers, they're smooth talkers. Boy, they are slick. They like using that worldly music. They like using. You know those you know watered down Bibles and watered down doctrine and just making everything easy and sound good and all feel good and I'm telling you right now it is it's seductive it's tricky you go to some of these places they know how to put on a show they know how to get you feeling good and I'm telling you we need to come to church not to feel good we need to come to church sometimes to get our toes stepped on and to get convicted if the Holy Spirit shows up we're going to get convicted. We're going to feel bad. Everybody you ever see in the Bible who got in the presence of God, you know what they did? They fell, they fell on their face. They felt bad after they got in the presence of God. They felt dirty when they got near Him. And you know what most people do these days? They will live a wicked life all week long and they will go to church and come out feeling great. That doesn't make sense. That never happened in the Bible. And it shouldn't happen here. We need to be sometimes to be roughed up a little bit. We need to be. Uh, we need to just have the truth told us. Have you ever had somebody that just maybe they did they told you the truth? Maybe a boss at work came and said, "Listen, you're not doing your job right." Hey, you didn't feel good about it, did you? It made you feel bad, but you know what? If you did the right thing, you know you you took the criticism and you fixed whatever was wrong and you started doing right. And that's what we've got to do in church sometimes. The Word of God, boy, it's a, it's a discern of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. And it's quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes the preaching, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. So overcome that seduction of false doctrine. Overcome, verses 18-29. through 29. Wish I had time to go through all, but overcome the temptation 
to just give up. Boy, they were going through some hard times. They're one. I mean, he he's warning them about some of the things that they're going to go through, and uh, just about some of the the pressures that they were under. In verse twenty five, he says, "But that which he have already hold fast till I come." He said, "I want you to hang on to what you have." He said, "Just he's basically telling them, don't give up." I can promise you right now, there's going to be days where you're going to feel like giving up. There's going to be days when you're going to feel like, you know what? I don't want to mess with this Christianity thing anymore. I don't want to mess with this church. I don't want. I don't want to go there anymore. It's too difficult. I'm done. I promise you're going to feel that. You know, there's been a few times in my life. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. There's been a few times I've looked for the escape hatch. How can I get out of here? <laughs> how can I, How can I get out of this? What was that? What was I thinking? I'll tell you right now. You know, there was a few times after we started the church early on where I was just like, "What did I get myself into? What was I thinking?" <laughs> it was pretty easy when I was over there in LaSalle. What What was I thinking? But you know what? You you have to overcome it. We've all faced that before. Maybe after you got married, you know, after the honeymoon was over, you know, all of a sudden, real life stepped in. You had to start paying them bills and things. Well, this isn't easy. You know, but you know what? You got to overcome it, don't you? When the kids start coming, oh man, you know that it's exciting. But you know what? Those kids—they come with challenges. They come with the diapers. They come with, you know, just the bills, the the food. You seen food prices lately? There's six of them. It's not easy. But you know what? You got to overcome it. I can't just sell them to the gypsies. We threatened to a few times, but <laughs> you can't. You can't do that. You can't do it. You've got to overcome it. You've got to do it. And there's always going to be temptation to give up. But the Bible says just hold fast. Hang on. There are so many Scriptures we could go. The Bible never said that this would be easy. The Bible says in Galatians 6.9, "...and let us not be weary in well-doing." Why did he say that? Because he knew we're going to feel weary sometimes in well-doing. He says, "...but in due season we shall reap if we faint not." Why would we faint? Because we're tired. Because we're wore out. We just want to give up. We're, we're, we're finished. I can't go on any longer. Bible says you'll reap if you faint not. Don't let yourself faint. I know Brother Jack Parchman, a preacher, he's in heaven now. He used to talk about how when they were traveling, he was a traveling evangelist that did tent meetings and things, and he would drive this big camper around. And he would talk about how they'd be driving for hours sometimes, and he'd get sleepy and you know, almost start falling asleep at the wheel. And so his wife, Miss Ann, she would always have a spray bottle of water there, and when he'd start getting drowsy, she'd spray him in the face with that spray bottle. And it helped it helped keep him awake. It helped keep him alert. It helped it helped him keep going. You know, he was tired. And we've been there before. Well, we've just been tired, but you know what? You can't faint. You can't give up. Sometimes maybe you just need to be slapped around a little bit. And we can't give up. Maybe that's where you're at today. You're feeling tired. You're just wanting to give up. And you need, as a preacher, I just kind of slap you around a little bit. I won't do it physically. But verbally. Why? Because we can't give up. We can't stop. Have you ever seen them coaches before sometimes? Them guys that are out there practicing and running. The guy's dying and he's about to, you know, he's throwing up and, you know, he just, he, and he's like, don't give up! You know, just screaming at him and yelling at him. Why do they do that? Because we've got to learn just not to quit. To just keep going. Life is difficult sometimes. And it is hard. And it only gets worse when we give up. And we can't do it. Keep on going. But then, chapter 3, chapter 3, in verse 1, to the church 
in Sardis. In verse 2, he says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Right here, he's telling them, he's telling them to watch. He's telling them, I don't know why I didn't turn this thing off. He's telling them, basically, to overcome falling asleep. Remember Peter and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, they kept falling asleep when Jesus needed them to watch and pray. Jesus has told us we've been commanded to watch for His coming. We're supposed to be watching for the coming of Christ. We're supposed to be watching the signs. How do we watch? We've talked about this before. Does that mean we go outside and look in the sky? Is He coming yet? No, the way we watch is by being obedient to the Scriptures until He comes. When He comes, will He find faith in the earth? When He comes, are we going to be doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we going to be following Him? And many people today are falling asleep. They're falling asleep. This is why church attendance is so important. This helps keep us awake. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Every preacher's favorite verse when it comes to church attendance. Well, let's look at verse 24. It says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. We've got to provoke each other. We need push a little bit. And so he's, why do we need this? He says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That's what we're doing today. We're assembling together, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know one of the reasons I believe Christians are falling asleep today and churches are falling asleep is because we are having less and less church. Less and less church. Pastor, you know we're going to come, but you better get everything done in an hour because we've got an appointment with a pot roast in the oven and we can't be late. And this is really important. And I'm telling you right now, we don't give the Holy Spirit time to do anything. We don't give Him time to teach us anything. I mean, we cram God into such a small part of our day and we wonder why people are falling asleep. That's Maybe that's why they started the midweek service. Why? Because in a week you fall asleep pretty fast. And people these days, Christian people who go to church every week seem to be completely clueless about what's going on in the world. What's going on what the Scriptures say. It's amazing how little they know about the Scriptures. We need those Bible studies. We need that extra teaching from the Word of God. We need that provoking each other. And it says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you know back in the Bible days, you know, if you try to study when did they have church, how often did they have church, we see many references to them doing things daily where they would have daily prayers. Where they would have daily assemblings. Maybe kind of like revival meetings. Why do they have those revival meetings where they have service every day? To wake us up. To wake us up. Because you know what? We've fallen asleep to our spiritual condition. In churches today, it is ridiculous what is going on amongst God's people in the church. People who claim to be Christians, they're not living like it and they feel like everything's fine. Why is that? They're asleep. They're asleep spiritually. And you know what? We better overcome that. We better wake up. We better take this serious and better take church attendance serious because we need provoked unto love and to good works. I need the motivation. You need the motivation. I need it reminded of a few things. Sometimes we do. We just naturally backslide, don't we? 
We naturally get away from God and we naturally get away from doing the things we're supposed to do. And we need a reminder. That's why you need to be in your in your Scriptures every day. Be in the Word every day. Why? To wake you up. We need wake up. Some of us, we need shook up. Some people are hard to wake up. I remember one time, this is one of the funniest things, Tommy and Jason were little and Tommy wouldn't wake up. And I told Jason to get a spray bottle and go spray Tommy in the face. And he just got the biggest smile on his face. They were pretty little. And he, he was so excited and went and sprayed Tommy in the face. And Tommy was furious. But, but you know what? That's what he needed. He wouldn't wake up. A simple Tommy, get up. Wasn't cutting it. And sometimes we do. We need woke up. And then also, uh, in chapter 12, or verse 12, or no, Hebrews chapter 3, I'm getting lost in my book of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Notice this says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Notice it says exhorting one another daily. We need to be around each other a lot. Anybody getting any of this exhortation from their coworkers? I haven't gotten any of it yet. Okay. Anybody getting it from their neighbors? You're not going to get it from them. Maybe. Hopefully, that'd be great. A good Christian neighbors motivate you to do right. But we get it from the people in the house of God, and it's why it's so important that we are here every opportunity that we can be. Is it's so important. And then just real quickly, overcome losing your crown. We see it here in Revelation chapter 3. It says, let no man take thy crown. Did you know you can do good, you can do good things that there are rewards for? There are some rewards that you can lose. And we don't have time to get into all those, but basically, what are those rewards you can lose? They're the awards that come for your faithfulness. And faithfulness is not a temporary thing, it's a lifetime thing. If you're faithful for 20 years and you give up in the last year, you weren't faithful. You'll lose those rewards for faithfulness. That goes unto the end. I mean, until you die, you got to stay faithful, and the devil's always going to be trying to take your crown. You might have, there's people, they might have a whole bunch stored up, but if the devil can just get them to quit, if he can get them to quit at any point, those rewards for faithfulness, they will lose. You won't lose your salvation, but uh, we, we could do it. We could. Do, there's a lot of scripture that shows there are some crowns, there are some rewards that we can lose, and those are ones that are for faithfulness. And that's why we can never, ever give up, overcome losing your crown. There are foes that don't want you to succeed. It says, "Let no man take thy crown." Why do they want to take your crown? They don't want you to succeed. They don't want you to do good. They want you to fail. They want you to fall flat on your face. And then to the church in Laodicea, they are the church that's known for being lukewarm. That church, they were just comfortable. We are going to have to overcome the temptation to get comfortable. You know, that's really what everybody's looking for these days. Just comfort. I hear people say this all the time. I'm looking for a church where I can feel comfortable. I understand what they're trying to say, but let me tell you, that is so unbiblical what they're saying right there. We see a church in the Bible that was comfortable. Where the people there were comfortable. You know what God said about that church? I want to spew you out of my mouth. It made God sick. And that's where people have to... I want to go where I can be comfortable. 
And that's not what this is about. We need a church where we're going to get provoked unto love and good works. We need a provoke means you weren't going to do the good works, but somebody provoked you. Somebody talked you into it. Somebody kind of gave you that push. They gave you that nudge that you needed. We need we need that. And that means sometimes pushing people out of their comfort zone. Getting them to do things they normally wouldn't do. Overcome that temptation. Look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, the Spirit saith, the Spirit, uh, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. You know when we get rest? You know when we get to go on vacation? You know when we get to get comfortable? When we're dead. When we're dead. You'll get plenty of sleep when you're dead. I heard that one time and I've used that many times. I won't get much sleep. You need to get some sleep. I'll get plenty of sleep and I'm dead. And you know what? It's a true statement. We get our rest in heaven. This is working time right now. This is working time right now. And you know what? We're on the clock, folks. We're on the clock. We can't be... This isn't time to take a nap. This isn't time to get comfortable. This isn't time to go on a vacation. I've talked to some preachers that they've said, I'm taking a break from the ministry. And you know what? Everyone I've ever heard say that, they're still on that break. It just doesn't... You know, Have you ever gone you go on vacation and don't you hate it when you come back from vacation and you got to go back to work that first day? Man, it was a whole lot better. You know, when we were wherever. Vacation was a lot more fun. Yes, rest is more fun. But I'm here today to tell you that this is not the time for rest. This isn't vacation time. Listen, we're we're just in the beginning of this thing. We're only three years in it. This isn't the time to get relaxed. This isn't the time to take a break. You know, God's done some things here. We've had some accomplishments. This isn't the time to just you know we did. We looked a little bit about talked about some of the things that God's done in the last three years. But I don't want us to look at that and get satisfied and get feeling real good about ourselves. What I want us to do is to get stirred up a little bit and say, you know what? We better get busy. We better give it's already been three years. We might not have another three years. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know if we we better get busy. We better start bringing people to Christ. Who knows when your neighbor how much time they have left? They might die tomorrow. We don't know. Who knows how much longer we have left? You might have just gotten a clean bill of health from the doctor, but you know what? You're all going to be leaving here in an automobile and people die in automobile accidents every day. And I'm not saying that to spook you, but I'm saying that to maybe just wake you up a little bit because we don't know how much time we have left. And now is the time to get busy. Now is the time to get closer to God. And it's going to be hard. You try doing right, there's going to be an obstacle that comes your way. You decide, you know what? I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there at church every time the doors are open. Something's going to get in your way. You know what you got to do? Get over it. Come overcome it. Overcome it. Whatever it is, whatever the obstacle, just overcome it. There are. We didn't even talk about the rewards that come to him that overcometh. Most of them they were talking about are rewards that we're going to get in heaven. I don't want to miss out on that. And if I'm if I'm not going to miss out on that that day, I've got to be overcoming today. And if we're going to do right, if we're going to grow, if we're going to move forward to God, if we're going to see people saved, it is not going to be without challenges. We start stirring things up around here. We people's lives start getting changed. I'm telling you right now, the devil is not going to sit around and just watch this church 
win people to Christ and do nothing about it. He's not going to do it. You know what He's going to do? He's going to put obstacles in our way. And what are we going to do? Are we going to stand there? Are we going to stare at Him? Are we going to overcome Him? I say, hey, let's overcome Him. We've already overcome some things around here, but are we in heaven yet? Are we dead yet? No. So you know what? We're not done overcoming. Let's keep on going until the Lord returns. So with that, let's stand together.